You're listening to a Chirp Radio podcast. You can find more interviews and features at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Dylan Peterson for Chirp Radio 107.1. I'm with Joe Swanberg. He's a filmmaker based in Chicago. And today we're going to talk about Easy and uh, all of your other films, too. Because I'm a, <laughs> I don't know. You, you're, you're just doing great work, man. And um, uh, how, are you, uh, how are you enjoying yourself in the city of Chicago these days? Good. The weather's been amazing. I tend to stay, I try and walk and be outside even in the worst of the winter, but we're getting really spoiled these last couple of winters. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's fun watching, uh, easy for this reason too. Like, uh, well, the first season you see Chicago in the winter Yeah, and it looks good on film, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. It's a pain in the ass to shoot in the winter, but it does look really gorgeous. Yeah. We did spring. For season two, I'm hoping we can, if we get a season three, try and do something in the late summer or fall and just keep the show moving around the calendar and moving around the city. Oh, interesting. Cool. Yeah, it does feel a little warmer this season. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that makes sense. There, there are a couple new characters, but then there are also uh, some uh, characters coming back. It's almost like they have little sequels. Yeah. So that was sort of built in. when I, When I was sort of conceiving of the show I was thinking of things like boyhood or the seven up documentary series, something that would, you know, not in necessarily regular intervals, but something that would pop back in and revisit certain storylines or characters with year long or more than that gaps in between the stories. And we would just kind of dive back in and tell a new story, but tell a story about characters we've met before. The idea being that you don't have to watch the older season, you know, you could just start with season two and not be missing anything, but that, you know, the more of the show you've seen, the more you might recognize a character who passes by in the background as somebody who you've spent an entire episode with at some point and that, you know, kind of build and grow out in this interesting way. Yeah. And it's fun. Like I, uh, watched all the episodes over the weekend, uh, by myself, but my girlfriend would pop in and watch some with me, but only caught a couple of them. Yeah. And she was fine. She could just watch like, you know, the sixth one or the second one. And yeah, but I would notice like, oh, that guy driving the Uber, he had an episode mm-hmm. earlier. And, totally. Um, it reminds me of like, uh, you know, that, that book building stories. Um, yeah. The Chris Ware book. Yeah. Yeah. Where you can kind of start anywhere and mm-hmm. end anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was, you know, I, I sort of designed it as a, you know, based on my own TV viewing habits, which for me, it becomes really tough to follow a narrative series. And, you know, especially I have two kids and sort of limited time to engage with TV. And so I find that I watch anthology shows or I watch shows that are formatted to be, you know, standalone episodes, basically. And so I wanted to make something that it's it was frustrating for me to end up in conversations where somebody is like, oh, this show is so good. You got to watch it. And I'm like, where is the show at? Well, fourth season. I'm like, when am I ever going to watch the previous three seasons to catch up with where everybody else is at? It seems like a really big task. And so when I thought, you know, I'd been doing film my whole career. When I thought about doing a TV show, 
I was like, I want to make something where if you hear about an episode, you can just go watch that episode. You never have to, you know, backtrack four seasons in order to understand what's going on. It's great. Well, the first TV thing I saw you do was that episode of Love. Mm-hmm. That was your first time directing for I TV? I had done an episode of an HBO show called Looking before that. And then I did, yeah, I've done three episodes of Love so far. Oh, man. The the one with Andy Dick yeah. was the objective <laughs> best one. It was great. Yeah, I was terrified when I read that script. I said yes to the job without knowing. You know, I just knew Judd Apatow was doing the show and I knew the actors and liked them. So I was like, I'll definitely do it. And then I got the script and it was like very heavily centered around Andy Dick. And I did not, you know, my perception of Andy Dick was that he was this like drug addicted train wreck whose media persona I was not a fan of. I was thinking, well, God, do I really want to do this? Maybe I'll have to quit this job now that I know what I said yes to. And so I went into it being a little intimidated by that Andy Dick factor and I liked the guy so much. I mean, on day one, I thought he was so funny and really a good actor, really smart and seemingly on his best behavior. Um, yeah, I had a total blast working with him and, and all the other people. Your locations are heavily Chicago in your movies and in Easy. Uh, wasn't the case for, for Love, but um, uh, are you... Uh, still like bringing friends to to your projects or or what what's the uh the way you go about um casting now yeah well it depends i mean i know just through the movies i know a lot of new york and la based actors and also you know people tend to reach out to me so a lot of the casting is that i meet somebody or hear from somebody that they're a fan and they want to work on something and you know usually that feeling is mutual so i'm always trying to fit actors in whose work I like or, you know, who I've sort of met along the way. Um, and the thing with Chicago actors is they tend to move away. You know, you sort of reach, uh, I, I believe you hit a ceiling here in Chicago as a performer. I don't think it's the case with everybody, but certainly for people who want to do film and TV, it's very hard to stay here and continue to make good money and sort of graduate. It's like once you've done the Chicago fire shows or maybe a few other things you can't, unless you have a recurring role, you, you sort of have to go travel for that line of work. And so I think a lot of people end up relocating elsewhere. And so I'm always trying to cast Chicago people in the show. The leads tend to be either former Chicagoans who are now New York or LA people or, you know, New York or LA people that I'm bringing in. And then I'm filling in a lot of the day player roles and other roles with people who are still living here and working here. But even those people tend to, you know, even between seasons of easy or between movies tend to move away in the meantime. And then I have to bring them back anyway. As far as what you're generating from the beginning, like you're kind of uh, regarded for your, you know, working with shoestring budgets and, you know, the more DIY um, uh, minimalist aesthetic. And like Mm -hmm. in season one of easy, um, the thing that, I really loved was uh, I could tell it was handlebar just because I yeah. could recognize it, but then they're walking through an alley that I also know is right behind handlebar, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering I'm like whoa is is he is that just for convenience sake or is 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 this a detail uh, oriented director Joe Swanberg mm-hmm. and or both um, because uh, a detail like that I don't know only a Chicagoan's going to notice that yeah. I feel like yeah. 
Well, it's a little bit of both. I would say that in particular, walking through that alley on their way to Handlebar is on purpose because I want the geography to make sense. I would say what's convenient is the fact that later in that episode, they're at a Thai place that's across the street from Handlebar. So, you know, that's about not having to do a huge company move and just everybody walks across the street and we get to gain another scene that's in a bit, you know, a, a less iconic location that's not going to be as instantly recognizable so it's still ty lagoon right yeah yeah so we're you know we're sort of building uh the days in our schedule around trying to move as little as possible but also then on a personal note i am i'm wanting the show to make sense i mean you know for the most part nobody cares i think even most chicagoans don't care but you know one of the nice things about getting to work in a city that I live in is that I can be specific about that stuff. When I'm doing Love, for instance, and we're shooting in Los Angeles, you know, that show is set on the east side of L.A. in Silver Lake, Echo Park, those neighborhoods. It's primarily shot on sound stages on the Sony lot or on the west side of L.A. near the Sony lot. So we're constantly having to choose locations on the west side that look like the east side. And also, I'm not very helpful because I don't live on the east side of L.A., so I only know a few neighborhoods and places. In Chicago, I really can ask myself, where would these characters live? What's the, what are the likely restaurants they would eat at? What bar would this character hang out at? And instead of choosing something that has the general vibe of that bar, we could just choose the real bar. And so I like to make the show, for the people who live here and can recognize it, be accurate to not only where their apartment is but you know that they would go to this coffee shop near that apartment they would probably eat at this restaurant they would walk to this train stop and then try and get that as much as possible and you really do know this just because you yourself have lived here and also you have friends here and you live the way these characters do in a sense or your friends do yeah not all of them but i would say you know additionally it's just sort of a directive from the top that when my location scouts go out looking I'm not just saying I need a coffee shop. I'm saying I need this kind of coffee shop. Ideally, this one. If we can't get this one, then, you know, look for another one within a half a mile. That's realistically where they would go. So, you know, everybody who's working on the show is, you know, sort of understanding that that's important. And that's kind of part of how we build it from the ground up. I'm also curious if there is actually local product placement in this show, too. Because I, like, see little things where, like, there's a bottle of apple brandy where I know where it's from, mm-hmm. like just in, in passing. Is that is that happening on purpose? Or yeah, all- it's not. It's not product placement in the sense that we are being paid to use it. It's more that I'm talking to the art department and the props department about, you know, trying to spotlight local things, and we're reaching out. And you know, I would say that the more the the more that people in Chicago are aware that Easy exists. The more we're hearing from other people who are sending us stuff and, you know, I would like to, I, I try and be realistic. You know, there was an episode, the Spanish language episode last season, those characters are shopping at Crate and Barrel, not a local furniture maker, but even that's a specific choice. You know, to me, that's a class, you know, reference and a, and a status type thing. Like I want the show to be realistic more than I need it to be Chicago focused, but um, when the Chicago stuff makes sense and feels realistic, then to me, that's where we're looking for places to put that. Oh man, it feels so realistic. It's creeped me out at times how realistic it feels. Yeah. I think a lot of people are having, uh, weird 
you know, sort of like, this is a little too close to home. It, yeah. Moments. Like, is Joe Swanberg watching me <laughs> somehow? Um, but it's great. But it is fiction, right? It is fiction. But, you know, it's fiction to the degree that a lot of my work is fiction, which is that I'm, you know, I'm often telling stories based on my own experiences or uh, sometimes it's the actors in the show that are, you know, we're sort of riffing on real things that happen to them or I'm hearing stories from friends. So, you know, it's it's almost always generated from some real place. And then the fiction is either to disguise you know, the real person or the fiction is because it's a better story to add the fictional elements, but the basis of the story is something real. Yeah. And so, all right. So something like uh, uh, the episode in the latest season that really just uh, got me good was uh, uh, with Mark Marin mm-hmm. uh, when he came back and uh, reunited uh, with his ex. Yeah. And, um, just their dialogue, I was mm-hmm. just like, oh my God, did, mm-hmm. did Joe write this? Are they actually riffing right now? Is it like, what is going on here? Because it was like, it was yeah. heavy. Yeah. That's a combination of things that I'm adding, things that Mark is bringing and things that Michaela Watkins is bringing in. Um, no, it's not written. I mean, it's it's very much being, you know, happening between the two of them as we're filming it. But I went out to dinner with them before we shot that scene and, and, you know, we sort of got into it. I mean, I knew that that conversation was going to be a big moment for the two of them. And so, you know, in those, in those setups, I'm really asking them to bring as much of themselves as possible to it while also attempting to inform the backstory of what I think is happening with those characters. And, you know, in the event of Mark, who I've now worked with on two seasons of the show, I mean, I love working with him. I, he, he's an amazing actor, I think, and an amazing writer. And so the combination of the two is really helpful for my process. I would say, you know, in the grand scheme of things, he is exactly my favorite kind of actor who is also a very good spontaneous improviser who has a sense of how to shape a scene. And, you know, I've worked with Jake Johnson, who I think is incredibly good at exactly that. Um, Anna Kendrick, I've worked with a bunch of times, Melanie Linsky, you know, there are Jane Adams. There are these actors who I tend to work with again and again because they really know how to feel, how to be present in the moment, but also feel, okay, I think we're reaching a midpoint that where we need to start heading towards wrapping this up and you're not seeing them telegraph these moves. You're just sort of feeling that they have an inherent sense of how long a scene should be. It's beautiful. Love it. Uh, you mentioned Jake, uh, drinking buddies is uh personally just my favorite thing you've done yeah thanks i love it and uh was that the first i i haven't seen everything you've done but uh nobody has (laughs) (laughs) i'm the only one uh was drinking buddies the actual first time you brought in um how do i want to say it uh just professional actors it it seemed like it's me like whoa this is a a step above the yeah it was it was definitely more of a production than anything i had made to that point over the years, you know, Greta Gerwig went from being a friend to a professional actor. And, you know, various, there's been sort of like moments like that along the way. But uh, Drinking Buddies was very clearly for me a, a departure from how I had made movies into more of a standard, you know, Drinking Buddies was shot and built like a movie typically is. And what I had done before that was really kind of invented as we were doing it. Well, it's still so 
Joe Swanberg. Um, yeah, I tried to gear, you know, build the mechanisms of filmmaking to to be, you know, so that I could still utilize the aspects of how I had worked, but within the system of how a movie typically gets put together. And yeah, there were there were sort of growing pains for me in terms of moving from a really tiny mobile film crew into you know a big uh, production with trucks and a huge crew and you know all these kind of things where I was a little frustrated the first few days of the shoot that we couldn't move faster and that I couldn't just you know run around and grab things but uh, you know I just had to you know uh, make peace with the fact that this was gonna be how Drinking Buddies was made and once I relaxed and just sort of accepted that we were going to do it that way, um, you know, I was able to retain as much of the vibe of my movies as possible. But then I immediately made Happy Christmas, which was a five-person crew shot in my house where the actors did their own hair and makeup and wardrobe and we ran around like crazy people. So, I, you know, and I still desire that. I think I'm always attempting to... Uh, you know, be a professional filmmaker and do it the legitimate right way. And then also to kind of like grab some people and go make something small and crazy. Well, I mean, to bring up Greta Gerwig again, who is, is making it happen with Lady Bird right now. Um, I mean, she was in her first movie was one of your movies, right? Yeah. She was in a movie called LOL, which was my second movie. And then she starred in the next two movies, Hannah Takes the Stairs and Nights and Weekends. And Nights and Weekends. I mean, I keep hearing right now that this is Greta Gerwig's directorial debut, Lady Bird, but she co did she co direct that with you in a way? Yeah. I mean, Nights to, and Weekends? To, to me, I, I, you know, it's like a little, it's probably a little annoying to Greta that there's this like asterisk next to Lady Bird that it's not technically her first movie. You know, Nights and Weekends, it didn't feel right to me not to have the co-directing credit. And uh, because she and I were writing and inventing that movie as we went. I mean, we were the sole, you know, two creative voices on that project. And so uh, from early on, it felt to me like a co-direction I said that, you know, I asked her if she wanted to be co-director on it. She said, yes, we sort of, you know, built the movie together over the course of two years. We sat and edited the movie together. You know, it really was a joint project. And so, um, but at the same time, I, you know, now a decade later, it feels silly that it's, you know, sort of like taking away from the idea. I would say I haven't seen Lady Bird yet, but um you know, compared to the way we made Nights and Weekends versus what's happening with Lady Bird, uh, they're really, you know, it's like a different lifetime and a different world. And I, you know, I don't know what to say about it other than Lady Bird certainly is her first. It's movie. her first. Oh, I should, I should bring up, uh, I should bring up James. Um, isn't Happy Christmas about James? Happy Christmas is kind of about James. <laughs> James moved from Lexington to chicago real quick real quick yeah. james is your brother james is my one of my two younger brothers and, and we play his music on chirp a lot we play today's hits we play the lemons and uh he's been interviewed um just as you are being interviewed yeah. now for chirp and that's james yeah james swanberg my little brother moved from lexington to chicago boy i can't even remember when sis Several years ago, six or seven years ago now. Is that right? Five years ago? 
six or seven years ago and lived in the basement of a house that my wife and I had just bought in Lincoln Square as he was, you know, finding a job and finding his own apartment. And we had a, uh, you know, our son was really young at the time, less than a year old, or maybe had just turned a year old when James moved in. And so, you know, Chris and I were figuring out our own family dynamic with a new child and a new house and, uh, you know, James's presence in the house certainly, you know, created a new dynamic that we had to figure out while he lived with us for a few months. So it was sort of the impetus and basis of the idea of Happy Christmas, of having Anna Kendrick's character sort of pop in unexpectedly. She suffers a breakup and, and it, you know, it sort of hits her pretty hard and we offer that she could come live with us and sort of reorient her life and figure some things out and then her presence in the house kind of causes a little confusion and and some issues so I stole a few things from James's presence in the house but I also modified several things as well but you know certainly James gets a lot the the idea that everything that happens in the movie is something that he did which is not true though there are things that happen in the movie that are you know, ripped from the headlines. Yeah. Well, I follow him on Twitter. And when that came out, it was like he, he was reacting to it in yeah. real time. Well, I think what happened was I forgot to tell him that I was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he, he didn't even know really a, about the movie or what it was about until it, it was already finished. And then he was a little caught off guard. <laughs> under, understandably. It's all fun, though. And well, it's I, I love like I don't know, seeing what he does and seeing what you do and, and, and paying attention to your guys' work because uh, it, it's it's similar. Like, even though he's doing all music stuff, he yeah. does, like, these small things where he, like, records a, a track every day, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's it's another medium, of course, but um, it seems like the Swanbergs have an affinity for... Um, I don't know, small, beautiful things. Prolific lo-fi output. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. It's really interesting. Like, you know, I certainly wouldn't have predicted it. It's not, you know, I mean, I I would say that uh, the work ethic and the sort of constant busyness must be coming from some family dynamic. But beyond that, growing up, it's not like I would have guessed that James and my brother Michael's a poet, like that all of us would have been artists that were sort of, you know, working in this particular way. So it's funny that it happened like that. Um, And it's also really nice that both my brothers live in Chicago now. And I would say it's really nice that we're all working in different fields. You know, there's something... uh, if James was also a filmmaker and we were sort of both working here in Chicago, putting out little movies, then, you know, there, there might be a, a more complicated dynamic, but the fact that he's making music and Mikey's writing poetry and I'm making films also creates this nice version where we're all, you know, sort of like in our own spaces and we have the freedom to kind of own that space. And I love that you mentioned that it's in Chicago too. I don't know. I've always thought of this town as just a, place to work yeah i think so i think it's deeply built into the dynamic of the city i just finally read devil in the white city this you know this past week and reading about the world's fair and chicago hustling to get the world's fair the idea uh you know this part of their main pitch to the u.s government of why chicago should host it was this idea of the chicago spirit which was 
very much built around the city being a working city and um and it's true and i i think it's interesting that in that book even back in the late 1800s um when burnham goes to new york to try and convince these famous new york architects to come work on the world's fair project you know that that they're attitude he's shocked by their attitude they all all they can do is find flaws with the plan and, or, or come up with reasons why it won't work and you know uh in contrast to his conversations with everybody in chicago who was like yeah it's going to be an, an insanely difficult task but we can do it and i still find that to be true about chicago i think you know it feels to me that almost every major comedy artist at least and a lot of you know musical artists and various other art forms chicago tends to be where people f come and find their voice and do a lot of their early hardcore work and then success brings them elsewhere once they've sort of refined the craft but i don't think it's a coincidence that you know w we are this city where people build their careers and do a lot of work in a short amount of time and get a lot better in a short amount of time and then sort of go somewhere else to fine tune it. Well, I'm glad you're here right now. Me too. I think I'll be here for a long time. That's my guess. Good. And thank you so much for talking to Chirp and yeah, coming in pleasure. today. Easy is uh, in its second season now and it's on Netflix and Joe Swanberg. Thank you again, man. You bet. Find this and other Chirp Radio interviews and podcasts at chirpradio.org slash podcasts.